Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Genius Leader, welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Kathy Kasten, who is the founder and CEO of Blindcrest Leadership. With Kathy, we're going to discuss the journey of leading across the personality borders. You know that we're all different and you probably notice it on a daily basis how different people perceive the same information, how people have different approaches to communication and so on and so forth. And how on earth do you as a leader manage to lead everyone independently of their personality types? This is what we're going to discuss with Kathy. How can you prepare yourself? How can you find out what kind of people you have on your team? And how can you manage best to communicate with them in a way that they want and understand? And I want to emphasize what Katie points out during the conversation, that it's not about manipulating people around you. It's about getting the help for ourselves as leaders from the tools that will help us communicate with people in the way that they understand. So it's not about manipulation, it's about making your job easier. When we talk about this, how easy or how hard, how hard it is to work as a leader, with Kathy, you listen to that, but I want to emphasize that it's about investing some time of yours and effort into learning how to navigate the personality types so that you make your own work easier. And like Kathy is talking that we... Different people are like different places on the globe. Each place is unique in its climate, its environment, and so on. And knowing these personality types and knowing how to navigate them helps you prepare and pack for the trip, for the destination that you're taking, aka communicating to that particular person that represents that point on the globe of the personality types. I hope that opens up your mind a bit if you were skeptical before uh, to the discussion about the personality types. And you listen to Piketty discussing those two different axes that we look at through the DISC uh, classification that she's using as a tool in her work a lot. And there you'll talk about the pace and the orientation, whether people are fast-paced or slow-paced, and whether people are oriented on tasks or people. Kathy gives very practical examples of what kind of questions can you ask yourself when thinking about, hmm, is Peter a task-oriented or person-oriented person? Is Olga fast-paced or slow-paced? She will help you with those practical questions and things what to pay attention to, to identify those parts of people's personalities. And then she will give you practical tools on how to actually use that knowledge or those insights so that you can, as we said, communicate with people in the way that they understand and appreciate. She also talks about this, like, gives the stories of her own experience as the owner of Ice Cream Parlor and from her client work, how understanding people 
is the very great investment that you can make into your team and your own work. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Let's just get it started because I'm looking forward for you to hear Kathy and everything that she has to share. See you on the other side. Hi, Kathy. I am so happy that we finally have this time to record a conversation with each other and share it with the Genius Bishop podcast audience. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm, I'm very excited to, to have you as a guest and also to, to the conversation that is coming because I know that you have so much wisdom, so much knowledge, and that will definitely be this episode or full of pen-grabbing moments. So dear, dear genius leaders, just grab a pen and paper or have the notes app on your phone ready so that you can actually take notes because you'll have a lot of aha moments there that you want to remember afterwards and elaborate on. So Kathy, the t- theme of the t- our interview is part of is across the borders. And today we're going to talk about borders across personality borders. So how do we, as all those kind of different units, the universes of ourselves as personalities, how can we work together across those borders of the differences in, among our personalities? And how can leaders lead across those borders? But first, I usually start with a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word sustainable business performance? Sustainable business performance. I would say that for me, that is about creating a culture in your environment where people feel like their gifts are being recognized. They're able to live at their highest levels. They're passionate about supporting the team, the organization, the leader, and really bringing a long-term sustainable model. So that can look like, I'm so happy working here that I never want to leave. Or I'm so happy working here and I'm, I'm a big help on the team that I'm going to bring in fellow friends and acquaintances to work here too, because this is a great environment. So one of the things that can happen as you start to build these great cultures with these understandings of relationships, people feel comfortable, they feel valued, they feel excited to serve, to produce results, to bring others in. All of that happens as part of that process. Here I have two questions. Let's let's start with one. You, it sounds amazing what you have described right now, and it sounds like that is something that the leadership should create. Do you see that as the responsibility of the leadership creating this environment where all the gifts are seen, or what could the personal contribution of all the employees be if there is any space for that in this process? Wow, these are such big questions. We could spend a month on each of these. So the leadership question first. I do believe that an environment where people are appreciated for their gifts and their personalities has to be part of the leadership direction for it to really be successful long-term. I have been in organizations, and I will call this poster child syndrome, where they will bring in, for instance, a leadership consultant to talk about how we're going to build this great culture but they really don't believe it. And then they say, well, there, we had that training for a year. Is everybody happy? Let's get back to work. And I, <laughs> we've probably all seen that play out before. I refuse to work for companies that have that mindset. I do not want to be the poster child that was just the, see, we brought somebody in and paid her money. And now that's that for this year. I want to see leaders who really understand the value of people. Even if you're a high results oriented leader, even if you care about the big goals, which as leaders we should because we want to keep these businesses solvent, you will get farther faster and have better long-term results if you can get your people engaged 
and excited and supportive of what you're trying to do. So I believe that that growth has to start with the leaders, recognizing that as a leader, I have gifts. As a leader, I have abilities and strengths, but I also have areas where other people are stronger than me. I'm not good at everything. And who can I bring in to support and fulfill the team? Who can come in as a balance to me for some of those decisions I'm going to make based on my personality that maybe are too impulsive or too hard or too slow or, you know, whatever, whatever, however I'm wired as a leader, you want people around you to to fill that out. That's scary Mm. as a leader. It's a lot easier to bring in people who think like us. And I often see that when I coach leadership teams that they will hire people exactly like them because we're Mm. comfortable. We can have this great conversation. They get me, right? They understand me as a leader and I feel good. When I bring in somebody who's different than me, they can be exasperating, frustrating, irritating, all of those things. And it's really easy as a leader, I think, to shut them out. And I have seen some huge damage done in businesses by leaders who have not recognized how valuable those team members are. So, you know, I think that starts with the leaders for sure. We'll park the second question for for a moment because I want to develop your answer here because it it had a lot of beautiful moments. So, as you said, Tapping into these differences and embracing them is scary. And I know that you're using DISC as one of the tools that that helps people find what are their strengths and gifts, but also where can they might be looking for someone who, who is better at those areas. How would you, or how do you help the leaders to actually embrace that scary process? And also, how do you, like, have you ever seen people going too far on that journey of like just trying to attract people who are very different and somehow hitting the wall with that? So boy, okay. A couple of answers to that. The first <laughs> one is how do I, let's start with how do I help leaders to do that? I am a big believer. I've loved leadership my whole life. I've been involved in it my whole life in corporate world and entrepreneurial endeavors. I've also created uh, community groups that have been supportive with government and education and nonprofits and businesses in them. All through all of that, I've always wanted to find a tool that really helped me to have the best conversations possible with other people. Because at the end of the day, when we have a business of any kind, or a nonprofit of any kind, we're trying to serve people. So how do we have those conversations? And sometimes it's even, how do I get them to understand that what I have is really valuable for them? It could change their life. We have to, I I talk about how when you knock on a door, we've all been there where somebody opens it and there's this little chain on the door and they kind Mm. of through it. And that's your sliver moment at the very beginning when you're saying, hey, I'd really like to talk to you further. Now you're going to either have the door shut in your face Or they're going to take the chain off and say, come on in. So I was looking for a tool that could help my mind understand how to have conversations with people so that they would say, come on into my comfortable place in my mind. Let's have a seat on the couch and talk because now we can start to have a really big impact, right? So how do we do that? In my world, I searched and searched. I finally found DISC and I have looked at Strength Finders. I've used Myers-Briggs. I'm certainly aware of them. I love understanding myself. And those tools are wonderfully valuable for that. What I found with DISC and the reason that I really love it is because it's the first tool that I feel is simple to understand, but profoundly impactful at understanding someone else. 
So what do I mean by that? I come to Anna and I say, Anna, I am amazing. Here's all of my strength finder gifts. Here's everything I know about me for Myers-Briggs. And here's why I'm wonderful with DISC. I think you should hire me. I think you should work with me. <laughs> right. And Anna's just saying, wow, okay, great. But how does that help me? And you're kind of full of yourself. <laughs> so part of it is thinking through, okay, I want to understand Anna. And I want to say, I care about you, Anna. How do I help you? How do I reach you? I'm going to come to where you are and really have a great conversation. So think of it like a globe. We all live somewhere in the world. We're comfortable in our home, right? Our house that we live in. That's the same with behaviors. We have a natural place that we're very comfortable. It's our jeans or sweatpants place. But if I want to go anywhere else in the world, which I can do, I need to pack. I need to think about what's the temperature going to be like? What kind of clothes should I have? Do I need sunscreen? You know, all those things. DISC allows me to think about and understand how to pack for somebody else's home place when I'm going to go vacation with them and also to prepare so that I'm not caught by surprise. So it allows me to now think about words I can use, ways I can dress, environments that we can have the conversations in, different analogies or feelings that I can talk about with my team to help them to see the bigger picture of where I'm trying to go. Oftentimes, leaders are big picture picture visionaries. Most people don't understand that. In the DISC world, that can be a high D, which is only 10% of the population. So 90% of people don't. I'm a high D first. 90% of the world doesn't understand me. And I know that. But the beautiful, (laughs) (laughs) well, the beautiful, it makes it challenging, right? To have a conversation. The beautiful part is 90% of the world needs me. And so that is really nice, but I have to figure out how to go talk in their language. So I don't intimidate them with the, you know, because the rest of the world doesn't understand me. Mm. So as a D where I start with all of my clients, no matter who they are, whether I'm working with businesses or on individual coaching, I always require an assessment up front from DISC through my company because it helps me to understand their natural wiring. So then I can start to build the coaching and all of the discussions we have around their comfortable place and we can start to step out from there. And then sometimes we will do a disc assessment of the whole team and we'll graph everybody out. That's powerful to look at. And I've had times where, for instance, the leader was in one space in disc and all of the team was on the opposite side of the planet. Great. No wonder we're having stress. And one of the things we know with disc is that 85 to 90% of all stress in the workplace is between task-oriented people and people-oriented people. So what does that look like? Kathy says, we need to get this done. And Anna says, but wait, what about the barbecue we've been planning for months, right? So you're in the, and both of us are saying, well, the people are important. And Kathy's saying, no, the task is important. And we're having this conflict that happens. I'm simplifying this, but that happens all the time in the workplace. So learning tools that you can use to have those conversations with the people that care about people first and say, I see you. I understand you. I understand that barbecue is important. Let's talk about that. Then Anna is more open and I'm making this up. I don't know if you like barbecues or not, but (laughs) it's about now Anna's going to say, oh, I appreciate that you could see that this matters to me. So now how can I help you? Right. It's never about manipulation. It's always about having the deepest effect possible for me, really making a true difference in the lives of the people I care about. And if I can do that by having better conversations with them then as a leader, I'm going to be much more effective and I'm going to have much more powerful results as well. And and I'm going to have a lot happier team, happier Mm -hmm. customers, happier vendors. Talking about the sustainable business performance that really drives that. 
Yes. Talking about manipulation, do you see the possibility for people to misuse disk, for example, to really manipulate people? Does it come from the person and their intention? Or is the tool by design just making it impossible? I couldn't say that you could never manipulate it, I suppose. Again, I would say that goes to the core of a person. If mm. I suppose anything can be used for evil, right? So mm. there's always a way to twist something to cause harm or pain. Um, I do think that that depends a lot on the, there are a lot of different disc companies out in the world. Many of them focus on a very limited knowledge base as far as maybe they have four to 12 plot points and they only tell you what your top trait is. We understand that we're all of the traits, just the blend of what we are and how they lay out. So for instance, the company I work with has 39,000 plot points on the graph instead of 12. It's highly scientifically validated. They've done a lot of work for that as well. But why I chose it, the number one reason I chose it is because it recognizes the gifts and strengths and beauties of every single DISC personnel the table the rest of us can benefit from. So could you manipulate that? Maybe, but I think most people are smart enough to pick up pretty quickly that this is fake and mm. not sincere. And at the end of the day, this is about no like and trust and about really getting to the heart. I believe that the heart comes before the occupation, even as a task person, I believe that. And one of my quotes is that it's not the occupation, it's the heart behind the occupation. As a leader, I can make an impact in a multitude of different areas, businesses, you know, whatever that looks like. But if my heart's not right, I'm never going to have the kind of impact that I would like to have. So I think people would recognize it if you're fraudulent and insincere, it won't take long and they're going to figure that out. And then you've caused a tremendous amount of damage. You might as well not go there because you're going to make things so much worse. If that's your intent, you're going to cause a lot more harm than you think when you try to manipulate it. But the second piece is, it's a beautiful translator. It gets me so excited. I spent my whole adult life looking for this. It's a translator that helps me to put on different color sunglasses to see the world from somebody else's view. And I can't tell you how many aha moments I have had where I just say, wow, I've never seen the world like this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like this amazing travel and I so love the clients I work with who show me what it's like to see the world through the glasses they wear. And I just am constantly amazed by it and excited by it. And I realize how all these pieces tying together can be such a powerful success for everybody. So we we talked about this uh, tying all the pieces together. And uh, the second part of my long question, (laughs) multi, multi questions or many questions. And one was, can people kind of try to challenge themselves too much to create this cognitive diversity, but really not embrace it in a good way. And the reason why I asked the question is actually, I at some point had the friend who was very different than me in the personality. And I always felt challenged by her. And I felt like, yeah, okay, self-development person as I am, <laughs> passionate about personal development. I was like, she just shows me the different perspective. And she is like, whole, helps me to broaden my, my, my worldview and so on. But I was trained after every single conversation with her because it was just too different. And at some point I realized I'm having those differences in the workplace so much because I'm in a man-dominated engineering environment as an, uh, one of the youngest people in the team and the person with the uh, international background. So I'm challenged there all the time. Why do I need to do that in my friendships as well? 
Yeah. So where do you draw the line there? What is healthy of fighting people who are like you or who get you versus people who challenge your ways of thinking? And how do you find this healthy boundary there? I just love this question on And I don't think anybody's ever asked it like that before. I just love that question. Okay, so here's some answers for you. When we understand that other people have different gifts and strengths than we do and different um, natural behaviors, which DISC measures human behavior. It's not a measurement of IQ mm-hmm. or knowledge or any of that. This is natural behavior, the way we're wired. And so once you start to understand how you're wired, and I'll give you an example of all of the DISC traits, the lowest one for me is high I, which is the inspiring, really uh, influential. When they walk in the room, you know, they're there. Okay, that's the hardest one for me. And I do keynote, I do keynote speaking. And I am an outgoing person, but I'm an introvert. And people think you can't have both. I'm an outgoing introvert. So an introvert extrovert is not part of this, but that's just the reality. I'm an outgoing introvert. So how do I deal with when I have to go do a keynote presentation, for instance? Because that's going to take me at a whole different level of that high I, which we call it, which is the inspiring influential person that I'm comfortable with. So for me, because I recognize that that's really difficult for me, and I love to do keynote presentations, I will not book them back to back. I will make sure that I book some days off after I've done one because I will come home and hide out in my cave (laughs) for a little Mm -hmm. while to recharge because I know it's going to drain me. I have intentionally over time, for a long time, I avoided people that had that strength because in the disc world, we talk about in control and out of control. Every behavior has out of control edges too. I can become too driven. Somebody can become too cautious. You can become too flamboyant. You can become so supportive that you don't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. All of those can have drawbacks that are really hard. So when I'm talking about surrounding yourself with people, we're not talking about the out of control people. I don't want to go in a room with a bunch of emotionally volatile people, right? That's, That's not healthy. But I have started to surround myself in the last number of years with people that have that great high eye ability that's harder for me. I will do it in small amounts. So I will go and have, which for me, because I'm a task-oriented person, lunch meant, what are we going to talk about? Why are we here? What's the goal of the lunch? Okay, we're done. Thank you. Have a good day. It never occurred to me to sit and actually have a conversation that was just in the moment for fun. Like that was not getting my job done. So I have learned over time to book in conversations with these high eyes, they have taught me to find joy in the moment. They've taught me to stop and take a mental snapshot of where I am and celebrate that for a second before I take my next step. But I also know that after I have those conversations, again, I need to recharge. So recognizing that that doesn't mean I should go spend all day, every day with high eye personalities who are inspiring and influential, they're going to exhaust me. Anything that's a lower natural behavior for us is tiring when we're around people that have it in high levels. So whatever, wherever you live on disc, the people that live opposite of you in the disc world probably fatigue you more. People that are really high in your lower areas will fatigue you more. As you understand who you are, which is the first step to understand here's where I live on the disc globe, you can start to adjust then, okay, I want these people in my life, but I need to understand that that's going to drain me. So what am I going to build into my day to recharge after? like the example I gave with the keynote. So you can decide, I want the eyes to teach me something, but I just can handle little doses at a time because I'm, I'm not there. So what are my three drops for today? And then that's going to be enough, right? So I don't know if that answers the question, but I think a lot of it is building in the recharge in areas that we love 
in between those harder things or changing the environment. So for example, I have someone I coach who's a very supportive leader, doesn't like to rock the boat, wants everybody to be happy. And they had an employee who was a very outgoing, outspoken, fast-paced person. So what kind of environment do we set up? So we actually had it set up so that the leader was in an environment that was comfortable for her while she was having a conversation with the other person. We are building a place where she feels safe and comfortable because she's going to be able to have that harder conversation in that safe, comfortable space. So, you know, again, it maybe is changing the environment you're in to allow if you're going to have somebody who causes you more stress, bring them into a place that you feel more comfortable. Yeah, that's that's a great answer. I would say, Kathy, because you again tapped into understanding yourself, right? And and having this awareness and also taking the power back and saying, I can design my life and I can choose how to interact with people, how much to do it, and yeah. when. Yes. And not always it's possible, especially in the work environment. Sometimes as a leader, you you have the team that you have just got there. You you didn't hire all those people and you just need to work it out, right? You, you might not choose your colleagues and so on and so forth. But again, look for those small ways to support yourself, to nurture yourself so that you don't get drained all the time just because you have the different people on the team. Yes. And you could bring in, I mean, here's another example that I was thinking about when you said that, Anna, you could bring in, let's say you have a very volatile situation in the workforce and it's with another team player. If it's something that can be dealt with where a third person is allowed, you bring in someone who is in the high in the disc world, we'd call it a supportive person, a high S. High S's are great for de-escalating stress. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got a situation where there's a high stress point and you can bring in a third person, whether it's somebody from HR or some somebody like that, or a, a fellow team member, or that's a more supportive, relaxed person, they will de-escalate the whole situation for the other two involved. They're good mediators. So sometimes it can be, maybe the two of us are going to have a hard time, but we bring in a third person that has that other piece that is helpful to us. And that's something else I was thinking about. It's not always just the two of us. In the work I do, I do interactive reports. And so sometimes when we've had two people take a DISC assessment, then I will run a report that says, okay, Kathy and Anna, here's how the two of you can talk to each other. Here's your strengths. Here's your struggles. Here's some of the words you can use with each other. Here's going to be a happy place to have that conversation. That's one of your better likelihoods of success. You know, where Anna walks out feeling good and Kathy feels good and we feel like we got somewhere. So that can be really powerful too as a tool. So we we already touched on those things. And thank you so much for for your tips, Kathy, about leading across those personality borders. But if we go a bit even more deeper into the practicalities of that from the perspective of a leader who have to has to lead their team, no matter who is there, no matter what the composition is. How can the leaders start, first of all? Where can they start? Learning about the people, understanding that. Uh, and for example, if they don't have the financial situation at the moment to, to do the assessment on the whole team, how can they start learning about the personalities and navigating those to, to bring the beauty together and really nurture those gifts of every person on the team? So a couple answers to that. First thing that I will say, and this is just as an aside for people to know, DISC assessments run, they're very inexpensive. It's like $13 to $70 for each person. So if you have a team of 10 and you did the $12.95 DISC assessment, it's a little over $100, right? So it's not super expensive. But if you decide that that's still not in your budget, and you really want to um, think about what to do next, there's a couple questions I would ask right out of the gate. 
So the first question I would ask is, and maybe you get out a piece of paper, you write down everybody's name. And I, the first thing I want to know is, do you think they're a fast paced person or a relaxed pace? How do I recognize that? And I actually go into this in a master class I teach. It's how quickly do they speak? As you'll notice, Kathy has a fast speech pattern. I'm a fast. Um, the slow paced would be people who maybe pause before they comment. When they walk into a room, they're going to saunter or slowly come across the room where the fast paced people are going to be zooming in, grabbing their seats, putting their things down, right? So start to think about fast paced or slow paced. That's the first part. If you think of the disc world as a globe, you're cutting it in half like the, the equator. Mm-hmm. Okay, So the upper half is your fast pace. The bottom half is your relaxed pace. 40% of the world is fast pace. So if you're not sure and you have to guess, start with a slower pace because you got a better likelihood of success. And more people are going to appreciate what you're saying. And what does that look like? Kathy has to slow down. She has to take some breaks. She has to ask some questions, which is really hard for me, right? To slow down enough to, to do that. That's the first question. About, mm, about 10 to 15% of conflict in a workplace comes between those two styles, those two behavioral styles. Usually we can adjust enough to deal with each other's speed. That's not where the conflict comes. Now think of the globe and cut it north to south and those two halves. One side is task-oriented. So your next question is, is it a task-oriented person or a people-oriented person that you're looking at? How do we know the answer to that? Listen to the words they use. Are they talking about the things that need to get done or the people they need to see? And to make that super simple, you know, this could be kind of a funny question you could ask as a leader. When you go to bed at night, before you go to sleep, are you thinking about people you're going to see tomorrow or things you need to get done? Mm, That's a good one. Very easy. Mm -hmm. That's where conflict in the workplace happens is between task and people oriented people, 85 to 90% of conflict happens there. So I'm, you know, if I'm a task person, I'm saying, can't you see, I need to get this done. And again, we talked about this a little bit earlier. And the person who's a people oriented person is saying, don't you ever take time for the team? Don't you realize we matter? Aren't you willing to spend some time with us? Aren't you willing to have a chat? Right? So it's a different perspective. That's where your conflict happens. As leaders, you can pretty much guarantee that's where the conflict is going to happen. So 65% of the world is people wired. That's your I's and your S's. That's your inspired, influential people and your supportive people. 65% of the world live on that people side. Task side people, there's only 35% of us. So if I'm coming into a room, I don't know any of the people. Let's say I have a brand new team as a leader. I'm going to start by making the assumption they're more relaxed, paced, and they're people-oriented because the likelihood is that more of the group is going to fall there. So what does that look like? That looks like Kathy comes in and smiles and says, good morning. How is everybody? How was your weekend? And, you know, hey, here's today's agenda. Here's all of the items we're going to cover and the percentages that need to be met right? So first, it's going to start with the people side. That's where I would start. But if you make a list and you kind of look through your list and you realize, well, 80% of my team is task-oriented, then they want to get right to the point and know they want an agenda, they want specifics. I was at a meeting not too long ago where there was a high C in the room who was somebody who's extremely process-oriented. They, they're cautious and, and very analytical. The person who was speaking ran over their time by 30 seconds and the C pointed that out. 
<laughs> right? Because in their world, everything is about making sure we're within the right mm-hmm. class, the right time, the right process, the right plan. You're messing up my plan because we had one and you've just stepped out of it. Those can be so helpful in setting up conversations. When I'm going to meet with a new client, when I'm going to talk to a potential business owner, really, you're in your family. This works just as well in your family. When you start to understand where each of those people are, let's say you're having a performance issue with somebody on the team. If it's a task-oriented person, we're going to talk about your productivity is down, your numbers are down. You're not getting a hold of the the vision. You're not seeing the big picture, right? Those are some of the words we're going to have with them because they're task-oriented and that's making them comfortable and in a language they understand. If it's a people side and I'm having that same performance issue, I may start that conversation with, you know, your team really needs you and we want everybody to feel fulfilled and happy and excited about being here. I need you to help the team. Or I need you to, let's say they're a high I, the more influential. I need you to be who everyone else looks to for how to do this better. And that means we need to improve your skill sets to do that, right? So we're talking about how other people are perceiving them. And that's going to resonate with them to say, I care that everybody's looking at me for direction. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about it. See the difference? It's like we change the wording. And again, we're just trying to get to the heart of the person we're working with so that we can help them to be the best of themselves as well, because then they're happier and more fulfilled. Hey, Genius Leader, I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. I'm sure that some of our genius leaders listening or watching listen to you now and think, that sounds tiring. (laughs) I have to think about that all the time. Who is in front of me? And remember where on the global disk or on the disk globe they are. So how will you address that? It is tiring. I'm just going to say that out of the gate. It's exhausting at first. But again, I'm going to go back to why are you a leader in the first place? Let's go right to the heart of the question. If you are a leader because you love to lead, you love to make a difference, you want to make a change in the world for the better, you really want to support other people and help them to have livelihoods to feed their family, you know, you want to be someone that others look up to as a model of how to live in a different way. It takes work. Being a leader takes work. I mean, everybody listening to this understands that being a leader takes work, but there's a huge payoff. It's just like it took work for us to take our first steps as a child. And we got a lot of bumps and bruises. I fell a lot. (laughs) And I'm sure we went through a lot of band-aids. And why did I do it? Because I could see, I suppose as a youngster, I don't quite remember, but I'm sure I could see others running, mom and dad walking. And I'm thinking, I want to be there. I want to do that. So I took all these lumps and bumps. I mean, I don't know any leaders as grownups that I've met that still crawl into work right? We like we don't crawl into the meeting. We don't, we stand up and we walk in after all those bumps and bruises, because we understood that that time and energy was worth the trade-off for where it got us. So what I'm going to say to leaders that are listening to this is, yes, it's work, but DISC is simple. Honestly, the concept of it is quite simple. You've got four letters in a relatively short period of time, almost from the get-go, the first session I ever have with a client, we can get them starting to use little tiny pieces of it. You don't have to boil the whole ocean in one day. 
We start Mm -hmm. with one tiny step, right? As leaders, we're taking little steps, but also just recognizing this is going to change your life. It's going to change your personal life. It's going to change your business life. It's going to change the life of the people you interact with. Everybody comes out ahead. And when I look out as my little kid self, seeing the running adult, as a leader, I'm looking out saying, imagine coming into a workplace where people are fulfilled, where I feel great, where I love being there, where my customers can't wait to come back to me because I get them and I care about them. That's where I'm trying to get to from my crawling stage to my running stage. And the results of that, both from a people side, which of course for most people is important, we're all going to feel better about each other. We're going to be more like a family. On the results side, we're also going to see better results financially. We're going to see more opportunities. I mean, there are always those people that get close to us that we're like, wow, I really, if something really special happens, I'm going to reach out to Anna. I want her to be a part of this. You know what I mean? Those little special opportunities we get because somebody's really connected with us. As you start to run in this world, you get more of those too. All mm-hmm. of a sudden you might be approached for a partnership or a, you know, a collaborative effort or things like that because people are saying, wow, I really connect with them. I would love to do more with them. I want to understand them. Hey, this new opportunity came up. Would you like to be a part of it? Hey, I have this new team forming and I want you to be on it. Are you interested? Not everybody's going to get that question, but the ones who have invested the time and the effort to connect with people on those levels are going to get those opportunities. In my own, this is a tiny example, but for a while I owned an ice cream parlor and I decided to really spend time on developing our team. And we had 12 to 13 employees at the time. So it was a small scale example, but my profits in that business went up 225 to 250% within a couple of years. And I wasn't concentrating on the processes. And I'm a process person. I was concentrating on the people. Well, what happened? My team was so excited that we were all bonding. And I had people driving. We had a tiny little ice cream parlor in a tiny little building. And I had people driving two and three hours away to come down and get ice cream from our parlor. They could have bought ice cream 10 minutes from where they lived. But they loved the experience of coming down so much. And there were lots of them doing that. That it was changing my business, even on a result side, which isn't why I started down that path in the first place. But I, I use it as an example here to say, yes, it's hard work. It was sometimes exhausting for me pouring into my team, but the payback, they became like family to me. They were very loyal. They loved being there. They brought in customers who loved being there. How can you not like that, right? If we're going to get up in the morning, I can't think of anything better than I'd love to go to work. My team loves me. My customers loves me. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I think that's a pretty nice way to live. I think you've sold it quite well, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that's helpful. I know it's hard. But again, and having somebody to help you walk through that can be really helpful too. And, the, and it's tiny steps. Leaders often try to take monster steps. Take Mm. tiny little steps. One tiny improvement in behavioral communication is a big step forward, just like all those little steps we took as kids. I love that you bring it up because I talk about it quite often. I see my clients trying to take those giant steps. And I usually say, like, right now you're standing in the valley in Nepal and you're looking somewhere up. And if it's a clear day, you're lucky to see the top of the Mount Everest. And you're thinking, how can I get there one jump? Yes. And the thing is, with leadership journey, is a roller coaster. You go up and down. And yes. it's the same as, as getting to the top of the Mount Everest. It's about getting to the base camp, 
acclimatizing, getting to the first camp, and then maybe you need to go back. And this is this kind of dance of going back and forth. And you don't reach the top, the peak of the mountain. If you try to jump there, you kill yourself. Yes, I love this analogy. I totally love it. It's important to really break it down into small steps. So don't feel that scared that they stop you from <laughs> taking those steps. And recognizing and- that there's going to be a lot of mountains. I mean, one of the things that I've done keynote presentations on is for mountains, facing mountains from overwhelm to opportunity. Our life mm-hmm. is full of them. We're going to have a lot of Mount Everest. Some of them come on us by choice. Some of them don't. You know, some of them are death or loss of a job or a financial collapse or, I mean, so how do we approach those? And, and it, again, it goes back to, yes, they're all hard things. The first time I brought my daughter home was hard. This was a new little life in my house. I have no idea. I, you know, you can read all the books you want, but here's the baby. And now I have to figure out what to do with the baby, right? Or you marry somebody and you say, okay, for the first time in my life, I don't get to make all my own decisions by myself because now I'm married and there's somebody else. I mean, we have those all through life. The Mm -hmm. first house we own, the first job we get, the new job we get. So it's those little tiny steps and realizing this is always a continual process that today's best is tomorrow's starting point. That was something that John Maxwell said that I really loved because it helped me as a high achieving driven person who always wanted the A++, which many leaders do, right? We can't settle for anything less and it needed to happen yesterday. (laughs) I think that recognizing that was a big mind shift for me that was really helpful is recognizing and and John made the the comment I got to hear him speak live and he made the comment when we get there and we've gotten to our best then what we might as well die because we can't do any better and it really made me laugh it was just kind of a funny analogy to show look we're always able to improve and grow and how fun that is for life I don't feel threatened by being uncomfortable as much as I once did. My perfectionist self used to feel very threatened by that, you know, because I have to be the high achiever. I have to be the A++, go to the top of Mount Everest in one jump person, which we all know doesn't work, right? You get a lot of bumps and bruises or end up dead when you try to do that. It was really fun to realize this is a process, a cycle, and we're constantly learning and growing. And I want to do that. And if I want to do that, what I learned up to today got me to today. It got me to base mm-hmm. camp. If I want to get out of base camp, what is it that I'm going to do as my first step toward the next part of the mountain? Yep, it's going to feel uncomfortable because I left base camp, but I'm never going to get to the top of the mountain if I don't take the step. And it's kind of fun because it allows you to start thinking about what's next, you know, rather than getting there. I'm a lot more understanding now of how important the journey is. It's a tough journey, right? As you said, but it's so rewarding. I see it so much from my own work and the client's results that it gets more joyful. Breaking down the steps and taking those steps instead of standing in the valley and just looking up and thinking, I will never, ever be able to get there. Yes. That's the beauty of the process. Yes. And it's so beautiful. I call that the why in the road. And so many of my clients have been stuck here at the bottom. What if I make the wrong choice? What if I don't do enough? I mean, we have how many questions? There's so many questions. We can fill books of them with the reasons we shouldn't take that step. But what happens mm-hmm. is we just get paralyzed. And there we sit. I, one of my clients was in a career for five years. And I asked her, when did you know this career wasn't the right fit for you? And she said, two weeks after I started. So she had spent almost five years in this really difficult career for her. It wasn't a good fit for her. 
And I found out she'd had a resignation letter on her computer for a year and a half because she knew she should leave. But the what ifs were just paralyzing her. So I love that you're talking about that because it's it's a lot better. And remember, if you're only taking a tiny little step, it's not hard to backtrack. And you always have permission to do that. So I've had clients that said, I want to leave my job. But after we took a few steps and they started to learn some behavioral changes because of this, you know, behaviors, how to communicate more effectively with their boss, for instance, they've decided, you know what, now that I know how to do that, I actually like it here. So Mm -hmm. some of them have stayed. Others have said, no, now that I've been thinking about this, I realize it's time to step out. So then we walk through that. But it's the it's the taking of the steps that gives you the answers so that you can get a lot more clear on what those next steps look like. And it's the same for communication. You may try an approach with Kathy and it may not work. And you say, wow, that was terrible. And Kathy, that we didn't have a good conversation. Okay, let's break it down. Where did it fall apart? What did we learn at that moment? What could we try when we get to that same point next time? How are we going to change the conversation with Kathy to try a new approach to that and see if that resonates better with her? So if you're a leader in a room with all these people and you've done the two questions about task versus people and fast paces or slower, and you guess, because that's the best we're going to be able to do to start with unless we do an assessment on them, um, and also listen to the words they're using, that can help you. And this is a really funny example. I have a VA that works for me. I used to do- And for those who don't know, VA stands for virtual assistant. Yes, virtual assistant. And I hadn't had one because as a high achiever, I always had to do everything myself, right? Because for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons. So I had a virtual assistant, great person. I knew her um, and she started sending me correspondence. Well, because I'd always been working with myself, I knew very well what I liked and didn't like, but I'd really never thought to articulate that to somebody else. So as an example, the first email she ever sent me was really long and it had lots of text. Well, Kathy is a get to the point person. So I wrote her back a note and I said, I need this to be, I don't want to have to scroll and I need it in bullet points. And then that's it. Love VA, right? (laughs) You can put a love at the end if you want. That's okay. But it was just, you know, I, and I didn't realize that until I was working with somebody else. So we had to figure out how do we have those community? If she wants to have a good conversation with me, what do I need from her? And in that particular instance, I needed more bottom line and less fluff because of what I was trying to accomplish. So Mm -hmm. some of that is just, you try things. And I didn't even know that until she sent me the first one. And I realized this doesn't resonate with me. Why not? So let's talk about it. And she's great. I love her. She's wonderful. And we've worked really hard at improving the communication Mm -hmm. with each other. She's a great asset. And I'm so thankful that I didn't say, well, this was too hard and she doesn't get me. We're just going to forget this Mm because she's been wonderful. So that's an example, again, where those small steps can really help you over time. And you'll look back I'm much more comfortable as an adult now than I was when I was 20 because I've taken all these steps. So it's the same with leadership and especially with understanding personalities as we start to see the world through someone else's eyes. And it's an adventure. We get to experience a whole new side of the world, but it also starts to make us more comfortable in taking steps outside of what's comfortable for us. And not feeling like we have to be the end all. It takes a lot of the pressure off as a leader too. You know, you were talking about how it's hard and tiring. That's true. But one of the things I was just thinking is it also lessens the stress on us. I no longer feel like I have to be the high eye in the room. I don't have to be the inspiring spotlight person. It's okay that I'm not wired that way. I can do it for short periods of time, but I can bring in other people to fill that space. I don't need to fatigue myself at a, you know, at a high level with that. It's okay. 
So that lessens some of the stress and frustration that we have when we're constantly trying to be something we're not. Does that make sense? That's a very, 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 very good point, I would say, Kathy, because again, we we talked a couple of minutes or a couple of questions ago that it is a tough work, right? And you need to put effort as a leader to to use these um, the, the tool and to navigate the personality boundaries about borders as we talk about in this series. But it again, it is a rewarding work and also it gives you permission to be you. Yes. And to shine as you as a leader. And every dispersonality can be a great leader. They're different kinds of leaders, but they're all good leaders. You can find examples of them in history. So it's really fun to be able to just say, this is who I am and I'm I'm happy with that. I can live in this skin and feel good about that. It doesn't mean that I can't grow and improve, but I don't have to be Anna. If I am Anna, then I didn't really need to be born. Because we don't need two Anna's, we have an Anna, right? So it's really nice to be able to celebrate that I'm unique and different than everybody else in the world, and that's okay, but so are they. What do we all bring to the table that just opens up the world? And it becomes so much more sustainable. As we started this conversation with what is sustainable business performance, when you allow yourself to draw the tap into your strength and you design your work to actually work with the people who, who complement you, Mm-hmm. And you find the ways to collaborate and communicate with each other in a healthy way, then it just becomes so much easier to live your life in a joyful way and in a productive way. You yes. don't burn yourself out. Yes. That is so important. That is what we see nowadays quite a lot in the workplace. And that's what both you, Katie, and I um, are working to change in the workplaces, to really make them more sustainable yeah. and people happier in where they are. And if they can't be happy in there by their nature, having the courage and the tools to change. Yes, to because when you're life. not serving people, I'm a big believer that we're in this time and place in the world because we were created to be the best person to fill it. So what do we do to be able to really shine the gifts we have? I, my brother is an amazing artist. He's, he can paint, he can draw. I, I can't draw stick people very well. I don't have that gift. So if I were to step into that world and try to be that, I'm not going to have the impact that my brother is going to have. That's a gift he brings to the world. So it's really fun as a leader to just recognize we are supposed to shine who we are and let others shine as they are. And everybody wins in that environment. And, you know, I was thinking back to that fatigue question a little more too, Anna. Another thing I would say is when we know we're stepping into uncomfortable territory, like trying to talk to that person who drives us crazy, building in some support beside that. So for instance, maybe you do have a group of friends or a, a, a networking group that you are in that just has your personality style as part of it, just for a little safe space where you can go for a while, or a friend you have that does speak the same language as you, that you can just say, oh, this feels so good, <laughs> right? It's like going to the pool and just relaxing and say, oh, this just feels so good. Now I can have a down moment. I think we need to build that into it's okay not to constantly have people around you that are different than you. Sometimes we need somebody who's like us just for a little while, just for a breath of fresh air. That's so, so important. Yes. And that's part of that recharge is for a minute, we get to just be us. And then we can go back out and, and try to live in another part of the world for a while. But it, it allows us to recharge during that. And I think that sustainability piece, as people are allowed to really shine who they were made to be, and we encourage that and support that, it's just the whole, the culture is sustainable. You know, when when I sold the ice cream parlor, 
the people that walked in, I told them, you want to keep this team and let them run this business for a year. You can just sit back and watch, learn, let them teach you this business. And then you can make lots of decisions about how you want to do things going forward. But that allowed them a breathing point. So even as a leader for, you know, that sustainable environment of someday, you're going to step out of the leadership role you're in. So have you taught your team or have you helped to build the culture that if, as an example, I got really sick for two years while we owned our ice cream parlor. I was down there almost every day working with my team. When I got sick, I could not go. Had I not invested heavily in my team, we would have had to close the business for two years. The fact that I had it, and that was never why I did it. I'd never had a health issue in my life. I hadn't even thought about that as a possibility. But the fact that we had invested so much time with our team made that business sustainable without me. And they were able to run that. And we could do a quick conversation on the phone for the critical items, but they were able to keep the company going. There's a great example, again, of where leadership spending the energy up front actually saved me a lot of money later. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of it like that. I hadn't even, that wasn't even on my radar again, but it was just another example of all these beautiful benefits you get when you start to really care about people where they are. I think that is the single best thing as a leader we can do is to really communicate clearly. That doesn't mean there aren't hard choices, but I'll tell you, if people are loving you and loyal to you because you've poured into them, when you come to them and say, okay, we're in a really hard spot and here's what needs to happen, they're going to respect you they're going to dig in and try to provide more if they can, because they have seen all of this other building up to that moment. Mm -hmm. So that's another part of that sustainability model as well. You get the loyalty and you'll get yeah. people to stand by your side on the tough times as well. Yes, which is, as we all know, priceless and rare. Absolutely. Most employees we... never see this, Anna. Mm -hmm. So if a leader can embrace any of this, they will change their culture and their lives. And the lives of their employees and their families and the customers. So yeah. it, it's just a, a beautiful change that creates lots of ripple effects that we all need to see more in the world. Yes. I might for all the time, I would like to wrap up with the questions that I usually ask, Katie. Uh, first one of them is, what would be your three pieces of advice that the genius leaders tuning in could take with them? And it can be a summary of what we've discussed or something that you think we've missed so far. Okay, three things. Um, one of them is to really consider how important people are in your life, whether you are a task person or a people person, even if we're doing tasks, why am I doing a task? If it's not to help somebody, I'm not really sure what the point is, right? We may use tasks as a way to do that. So whether we're selling something that's a physical item or a service, we're trying to help people. So recognizing that having conversations with people for people is critical is I think step one. Another one I would say is for everybody out here who's probably a high achieving leader, getting really clear on priorities. You cannot climb all of the Mount Everest at once, right? You only have two legs and two hands and a rope. So, <laughs> and whatever else you need, right? The pickaxe, you can't climb two mountains. So, choose which one is really going to have the biggest impact and spend your time and energy there. Let go of some of the others that aren't as, yes, that can be a future mountain. Or maybe, and it, this has happened to me where I thought something was a big mountain. And when I get to the top of the one before it, I say, you know what? I don't care about that other mountain anymore. It just doesn't matter. I've, life has shifted and I no longer need to go there. Mm -hmm. So really getting clear on priorities to simplify. And I think the third thing would be that recharge time, so critical. This was a really hard lesson for me as a high achiever. 
And it's something I work on a great deal with my clients. We cannot give to others if we are exhausted and stressed out. And as a leader, we are going to have exhaustion, stress out, stress out moments. It's going to happen. Our teams are going to be stressed. They're going to come to us and ask for guidance and help. You know, sometimes things are coming from the outside that we have no control over new government regulations or how about COVID? We've lost a bunch mm-hmm. of parts and production that we needed for our pieces and now we can't get them, right? All that kind of stuff starts to happen. If we don't build in recharge for the things that help us to really re-engage at a higher level, so that might mean we work less hours. One of my favorite tips with leaders is to have them schedule time on them cal- on their calendars for themselves. And they treat that as importantly as a meeting with the president or I mean, unless it is a critical emergency, and maybe as a leader, you define, you can interrupt this time if building is burning, (laughs) right? Otherwise, this this is my time. Those moments help us to reframe and recharge. And I'm going to add a fourth one on. I can't help it. I'm a D. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) So I'm an out of the box thinker. So the fourth one is to really think about what your legacy as a leader is. When you get to the end of the job you're in right now, or the end of the leadership role you're in, what do you want people to remember about you? What do you want to have lived out in that role? That's something you can be proud of looking back. And that will help you to set the priorities and to think about what choices you're making so that we're living it in the moment. One of my favorite quotes that I've um, thought a lot about, someone had me speak on legacy and the quote that I came up with, because I think people think of legacy as when we die, this is what we leave right? It's in the will. I want to reframe legacy. I think legacy is what we is is really how we live, give, and love every day, one step at a time, one day at a time. So what are you living today? How as a leader are you living, giving, and loving that's going to make an impact when your people go home tonight, when your customer goes home tonight, when your vendor gets off the phone with you? What do you want to leave them? That's my last one. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful reframe of legacy. Katie, thanks for sharing. I usually also ask about one practical piece of advice that our listeners and viewers can take with them and start implementing already today. Okay. So I think if I will go back to something we talked about earlier, we're going to talk about behavior, human behavior. I think that first practical step would be for the team that's immediately around you, your direct reports, if you have them, and if not, you know, a, a couple of customers or a You choose two or three people at least in your circle and you figure out whether they're task or people oriented. Start there. That's one little action step and pay attention to the words they're using and think about how I can talk to them in a way that is going to make them feel more comfortable. I love it. Easy. Everyone can do it. Everyone can play around with that and really play around with that. Don't take it too seriously. See it as the opportunity for yourself to learn more about yourself as well, not only about the others. And most people aren't offended. You could even probably ask them the question, you know, Anna, do you like working on tasks or would you rather be around people? Usually people aren't offended by that. They feel like, hey, thanks for caring enough to ask me that question. Mm-hmm. So you could just come right out and ask that. And then I probably wouldn't get out your little flip book and write it in there right in front of them. But when you go back to your office, <laughs> maybe, maybe when you go back to the office, you keep a little chart, you know, or mm-hmm. a little note that just says, Anna likes X, Anna likes mm-hmm. tech. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Great. When we talk, that's, I'm going to remember that. That's a great first step. Yeah. I love it. 
I think that's a really, really good first step, Kathy. Uh, lastly, I would like to ask if people want to get more of you, learn more about your work, or get in contact with you, what are the best ways of, to go ahead? Sure. Um, let's see. So that one of the best ways, I have a website. It's lioncrestleadership.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, they can find me under Kathy Caston on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, you can also email me at kathy at lioncrestleadership.com. So that's mm-hmm. a number of different ways that you can reach me. And, and I'm, I'm excited for people and I love to help them in their journey. So if there's any way that I can pour anything into any of the leaders listening to this, that there's something that resonated with you or you're saying, well, this is going to be just too hard. I need more help. I'm happy. And I, I do um, discovery calls that don't cost anything for a 30 minute window. So if somebody wants to just run something by me as a question, I'm open to doing that. Please use this opportunity, uh, guys and, and ladies, because Katie is amazing and she she's really pouring people into people that she gets to meet. So I really, really appreciate, Katie, that you have found time to spend with me and our listeners and viewers today. And I'm very, very grateful for everything you've shared today. It's been a great conversation. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything.